We're doing something a little different this morning. We're not going to be in Mark. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be picking up in verse 6. Uh, when Harry called me yesterday to let me know what had happened with Brother Lewis Walters, uh, my mind went to this verse, and I wasn't 100% sure I'd move in this direction, but I feel that it's what I need to do, thinking of what happened there, and even thinking about today. It is September 11th. We think about what happened in 2001. We were reminded of the darkness of the world that we live in, and unfortunately, we often try to ignore the darkness. Uh, in Christian circles, we often find ourselves uncomfortable thinking about uh, the uh, realities that we live in a world of spiritual darkness. Uh, we often don't talk much about uh, the domain of Satan. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we operate under the presumption that once we are saved, uh, we are fully secure from the threats of the enemy. But as we read the New Testament, uh, we are warned again and again and again that in this life, we have one of constant warfare. And so here in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter is going to warn us of the enemy that we face in this life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come uh, with heavy hearts, uh, just thinking of the world that we are living in, uh, thinking of uh, the darkness that we have seen in our own community, and it, it has been a reminder that this very anniversary of 9-11 is a reminder uh, that there is a very real enemy at work in the world, the prince of the power there that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we know that his kingdom is in the hearts of those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We know uh, that despite every effort of his to conceal his activity in the world, he is living and active not just in the world, but in our own community. And so we pray for spiritual eyes. We pray uh, like uh, Elijah's servant, we would uh, realize uh, that with you uh, there is greater strength than in the hands of our enemy. And that we would be aware of Satan's devices uh, so that he would not be victorious in our church as a whole or in our lives individually. And that you would be magnified in our lives. 
for you have given us the victory. For your son has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Your son has died defeating the one who has held us in lifelong slavery through the fear of death. So that we might know adoption as your children. And I pray this morning, if there are any who have not come to know the freedom that is found in Christ. The freedom from darkness. The freedom from bondage to Satan. That today... Uh, they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that they would come to know that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So Peter begins with, with an understanding of uh, the hardship and difficulty of life. We, we live in a hard world, and despite what the televangelist on your TV might say, uh, this world does not bring you a victory in every area of life. It brings with it hardships. It brings with it weights that press down upon you physically and mentally and emotionally that weigh down upon you. And unfortunately, one of the great lies that Satan has been so successful in pervading is this understanding of the self-made individual, this understanding of self-reliance. So we're told in our culture that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and that we have to carry everything ourselves. Oftentimes, uh, we uh, even express this in Christian circles when we tell someone that God won't give them anything more than they can handle. It gives this idea that we are able to carry the burdens and the weights of life on our own. But Peter says, no, that is not the case. He says, humble yourself yourselves corporately therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you and while you're doing this you're casting all your anxieties you're casting all your cares your burdens upon him why because he cares for you what a good reminder that is, a society that tells you that you have to carry all these weights and concerns, be it your work situation, be it your family situation, your health situation. You think, well, well I have to carry these on my own because that's the American way of life. Well, the biblical way of life is you cast these cares upon Christ knowing that he cares for you. And Paul himself says that we are to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the royal law. Nowhere in the pages of the New Testament do we find a, a, the idea that pervades our day of the isolated individual. Many uh, suffer silently. Many suffer in isolation because they believe the lie that the enemy has pervaded that they have to carry their burdens on their own. That, that it, it's a sign of weakness and shame if they need the help of others. And yet Peter says that we have the Lord and the pages of the New Testament have reminded us that we are called into community to bear one another's burdens and to have a mutual care and concern. Richard Loveless in his book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, he says that the early church was a commonwealth, that there was a commonality. You read the pages of Acts, they meet together daily, attending to their needs, attending to the apostles' teaching. There was a deep-knit life. So we're to humble ourselves. You know, that one of the first 
sins, well, the first sin was Satan's, his pride in trying to be like God. And the second sin was the pride of Adam and Eve that they could be as God. Christian life requires humility. Humble yourselves. Then he gives uh, the uh, alert, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why must we humble ourselves? Why must we be alert and awake? Because there is a very real enemy. There is a threat to our lives. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because there is an enemy that is watchful for you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You have an adversary. You have a very real enemy. You think of your family. You have an enemy that would love nothing more than to destroy your family. You have an enemy that would love nothing more than to bring your testimony to dishonor. You have a church family. You have an enemy that would love nothing more than to sow the seeds of division among us. Because when we aren't walking in unity, he wins. And the unbelievers say, well, so much for them being one as uh, the Father and the Son are one, as Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. And this is a corporate command. Uh, Be sober-minded, be watchful. It's in the plural, in the original language. We don't pick up on that because of... Uh, Our English language doesn't bear that level of nuance. But this is a corporate command because we need one another desperately. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, uh, sometimes I enjoy watching uh, some of these uh, natural documentaries. uh, Planet Earth, uh, uh, you know, with David Artburn uh, narrating. You ever watch the ones with the lions? You ever watch a lion's hunting? You know, lions, when they hunt, and it's the lioness that hunts, actually, but lions, when they're hunting, they don't go charging for the main herd. They don't go hit the main herd, the wildebeest, or whatever they're hunting. They want to isolate. Puritan William Perkins, uh, looking at the temptation of Christ, uh, uh, draws an important lesson for us. Uh, The enemy is always watching for us in our greatest moments of weakness. And the enemy, with his long experience, knows that our greatest time of vulnerability, like the wildebeest on the documentary, their greatest time of vulnerability is when they're isolated from the herd. That's why the enemy came at Jesus in the wilderness when he was by himself. The enemy didn't reveal himself at the baptism and say, Hey, now that you've been baptized and you've been revealed as the Son of God, let me tempt you now. He waited till he was at his weakness. You know, Satan himself could have written uh, the warning signs for Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they they tell people who go through the program uh, that they're to be aware of uh, certain areas of weakness that their addiction might sneak up on when they're hungry, when they're angry, when they're lonely, when they're tired. And that's when our enemy goes at us. Our enemy goes at us, not when we're at our strongest, but he goes at us when at our weakest. It wouldn't be our enemy if he attacked our strengths and when we were at our best. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Like a lion, he is seeking to isolate us from others. Like a lion, he is seeking to destroy our lives. He will not hit us head on. He will seek to isolate us. And we look at the society we're living in, that is increasingly true. We look at every area of life and we are living increasingly isolated lives. We are isolated from our families. Individuals spend less time with their families than they did generations before. We are increasingly isolated from our friends. And even more important, we are increasingly isolated from the church. Centuries before us, believers uh, saw each other daily. And a decade ago, uh, three times a week uh, was considered uh, being active in church. You know, it's very important for us to actually be involved in each other's lives. Because this command, be sober-minded, be watchful, is given to all of us. And we're not supposed to simply be worried about the areas of our own weakness. We are to be looking out for uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ's blind spots. Because that is where the enemy is going to attack. Again, think of the natural documentaries. Lions do not attack their prey head on. They don't go run up looking the wildebeest in the uh, eye before they attack them. They go from behind. They, They sneak in and they roar when they're about to make the kill. When they have isolated and they have snuck up on uh, their prey. And we have an enemy that does that. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. He's secretly disguising himself. And uh, interestingly enough, in our day and age, uh, the enemy prowls around. He disguises himself by making himself a a joke, a character. It's such that rather than thinking about the threat of temptation, the threat of accusation, the threat of deception that the enemy places, when we think of the enemy, we think of a red cartoon character standing on somebody's shoulder with an angel on the other. Talk to somebody who doesn't know Christ about the devil, that's the picture in their head, and unfortunately that's the picture in our head. Horns and a little pitchfork, but that's not the biblical testimony uh, regarding the devil. The devil is an insidious villain. He is a spiritual being. He's not this little red imp that we think of. Uh, He doesn't simply sit on uh, somebody's shoulder with an angel uh, on the other. Uh, He is far more insidious than that. He is the accuser of the brethren, as we see in Revelation. Uh, he accuses them day and night. He accuses ourselves. We lose sight of that, but when we read the Old and New Testament, the devil, just as we're perfectly capable of putting thoughts in each other's heads, the devil is perfectly capable of doing that. We, we see that in the Gospel of John, that, that Satan put it into Judah's heart to betray Christ. We have an enemy that is very subtle. Uh, he could teach Madison Avenue a, a few things about subliminal messaging and uh, sneaking ideas into people's heads. And he is at work in the world today. He is filling our heads with ideas. He is seeking to deceive us and destroy us and devour us. 
What are we to do in light of that? Do, do we lay down and say uh, we're beaten? Well, we have an uh, enemy far greater than ourselves? No. He tells us in verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. Not because we in our own strength confide, as Martin Luther says in his wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If we in our own strength did confide, all striving would be losing. Rather, in our submission to God, we come to know the victory, God, uh, victory of God against the enemy. Peter and James are in harmony on this. In James chapter 4, James writes in verse 7, chapter 4, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Again, that idea of humbling ourselves and accepting the will of God for our lives. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, back in Peter, resist him. Resist your enemy. Not because you have the capability and power on your own in your own flesh. Your flesh is your greatest weakness. But you resist him because as a child of God, the spirit of glory and of grace dwells upon you. And as 1 John tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood across the world. Resist him, knowing that this is not a strange thing. You know, throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, the devil is given many names that point to uh, his activity. He is Satan. He is the adversary. He is the one who seeks to uh, attack the glory and fame of God. He is uh, the one that seeks to attack us in our assurance. If we are a child of God, he wants us to doubt whether we are a child of God, even to the point of death. Filling our heads with doubts. Filling our heads uh, with doubts about the goodness of God. Filling our heads with doubts about the gospel. He is the accuser. He, he knows everything that we have ever done. And he loves nothing more than to remind us of that. Oh, you remember that time uh, you're double parked and you didn't get a ticket and you got away with it? You remember that time you were 10 and you stole a pack of gum from the store? You remember that time you told this lie? You remember that time you did this terrible thing? All the sins that you've ever done, uh, the enemy knows them. And he loves bringing them up to you. He loves to accuse you day and night to yourself. He can't do it in heaven anymore. We're told in Revelation that he's been cast down from heaven. But woe to us who are on earth because he has come down with great wrath because he knows his time is short. <coughs> but Peter says this is the common Christian life. Resist him corporately. We need one another in this. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You, you resist him at knowing that in your local church you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through struggles, and, and they have the same struggles. What an encouragement to know that you're not suffering in isolation, that you're not the exception to the rule. But I'm afraid in our day and age, because of our reluctance to talk about these realities, 
that many people feel that they are struggling in isolation. Uh, that w when they're going through the normal Christian experience of everything seeming like it's falling apart because they're under constant onslaught from the enemy, they think that something's wrong with them, and so they never talk about it. The fact of the matter is, this is a good assurance for us. William Perkins, in his book on the temptation of Christ, he draws a comparison. He notes that when the Israelites were under slavery to Pharaoh, he never set his armies after them. It was only after they knew freedom that Pharaoh set his armies against them. And... If we're slaves to Satan, he's never going to want to lay a finger on us. If we were still in darkness, the enemy would not want to do anything to bother us. The enemy would want to bring us in peace and comfort to a natural death and find ourselves damned for all eternity with him. But the fact of the matter is, we have a enemy that rages against us. What Peter is writing about here is the very experience of the church that we find in Revelations 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Rest is the enemy waging his war, going, seeking to deceive and devour, trying to destroy. This is the common Christian experience for 2,000 years, and yet somehow we bought into the lie that the enemy's work is mostly like that movie, The Exorcist. You know, that's the enemy work, possession. You know, somebody's head's got to be going 360 and weird stuff like that. That's not how the enemy works. The enemy is subtle and insidious. And he wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to ruin our reputation. He can't take away our salvation. But he can make our life pretty miserable here and now. He can make us believe some terrible things about ourselves. And about our current situation in life. He can bait sin and make sin look so appealing while he's hiding uh, the hook. Resist him. Again, this is a corporate command. You know, 
in the 90s, the U.S. Army had their uh, advertisement, an army of one. We are not an army of one. We're on our own. We're already bad off. We're on our own. We find ourselves in dangerous place. And unfortunately, in our day and age, we can be sitting in a crowd of people and feel just as alone as we could in our own house. We were talking about it in our past, me and several pastors have said this before, we meet every Wednesday, and one of them was making the observation that in their own church, you know, people come, but they're in a rush to leave. How can you be watchful and sober-minded about what's going on in your brothers and sisters, brother and sister in Christ's life if you don't know what's going on? And how can anyone know what's going on in your life if you've isolated yourself from others? See, the enemy loves this American idea of privacy that nobody knows what's going on in our lives. It's none of their business. What's going on in my life is my business and my business alone. The enemy loves that. Because if that is how we live our lives, then our brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't know when our families are struggling. They don't know when our marriages are struggling. They don't know when our mental health is struggling. They don't know when we're at our breaking point. And so we come to our breaking point and we buy into the enemy's lies in so many different ways. Does that mean uh, that you're not a believer if uh, you, you fall for the enemy's trap? No, it means that you weren't where you should have been. And that those sh who should have been in your life weren't where they should have been. You know, I, I look at, at the state of contemporary Christianity and I compare it to the Christianity of centuries ago and, and I am heartbroken over what has been lost. I, I am heartbroken over the loss of community that should exist in the church. The common care and concern that marked the church for centuries after its founding. You know, we live in a society where if you call people on that, they get defensive because they bought in the lie of the world. And it's really hard to undeceive someone. Be there, unbeliever or not, it, it, it is hard to uh, pull yourself away from a lie when the lie has been so ingrained into your life. And yet, if we understand that outside of the salvation of Christ is the kingdom of darkness, which is the enemy, and as 1 John chapter 5 tells us, that this whole world lies under the evil, and then we find ourselves in enemy-occupied territory, then much of what we hear outside of the context of biblical teaching uh, fills our head with lies. We live in a society that has ingrained us with lies, but leave us open to the attacks of the enemy. You know, you can do it. You, you, you've got this. You don't. No, no aspect of your life do you have this. You know, again, remember, Peter's not right, I, 
writing to an isolated Christian. He is writing to a congregation of believers. He is writing with the understanding uh, that they are living in community with one another and have a common care and concern for one another. He, he wants them to understand that they desperately need each other because of the threat their enemy faces. And that it's going to be helpful for them to be reminded and hear from their brothers and sisters in Christ that the sufferings that they're going through in this present time are not strange and unusual, but they're the experience of their brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere. Now, if you're in the military and you're under a milit uh, enemy attack, you wouldn't be ashamed of that. You wouldn't go around hanging your head down because the enemy attacked your position. And yet, when the enemy attacks us, we hang our heads. Uh, our families struggle, our lives struggle, and we think uh, something's wrong with us. We hang our heads in shame and we quietly withdraw. My previous church, uh, we had a woman, uh, she lost two children within a year. Uh, it was 20 years before my time, and a after the deaths of those two children, her and her husband, they w had withdrawn from church. Because no one seemed to understand uh, the weight and the grief that came with that. But we live in a world of suffering and hardships, which are heightened by the attacks of our enemy. And Peter continues in verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, it's going to end. There was a swimmer that was trying to swim the English Channel, and they ended up coming a thousand feet short. They couldn't, it was foggy. They couldn't see the shoreline. And so right when they were so close, they called for help to be pulled out. And afterwards, they were interviewed and they were asked, if you had known how close you were, would you have been able to make it? Yeah. We're close. We know the end is drawing near. We know that there's going to be an end to it. After you have suffered a little while. And some of you might be thinking a little while. If this is the Christian life and you get saved at like 18 and you live to 80. That seems like a long time. But weigh that in comparison to eternity. After you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Who has called you into this warfare and on the other side of this warfare uh, after this short span of the enemy's attack. After a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore. All the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering. There's going to be a day of restoration. There's going to be a day when all the pain and all the brokenness of this life is done away with. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. After a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. 
going to restore everything that is broken, uh, the broken hearts, the broken lives, uh, everything. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not to him and the enemy. You know, there's a dangerous belief that God and the Satan are equal. The light and dark are equal powers. That's not the biblical testimony. Light overcomes darkness any day, every day. That's why we're told in 1 John that we're to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That we come to know this victory uh, that we indeed have in Christ through faith in him in community. We have an enemy. We have a very real enemy. You know, that enemy would love nothing more than for each and every one of you to bear, carry your anxieties, your concerns, and your burdens in life on your own, without your brothers and sisters in Christ knowing about it, without your family knowing about it. Your enemy doesn't want you to, doesn't want anyone to know you're struggling. That's why the American response, when somebody asks how you're doing, you know, we, we lie and say, yeah, I'm fine. You know, our house could have burned down. How are you doing? I'm fine. Somebody ran over your foot this morning. I'm fine. The fact of the matter is, you know, most of us aren't fine. Most of us are, are under warfare. We're, we're living in a world of anxiety. Uh, we are bearing, a, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a slight momentary affliction. We are facing affliction. We're not fine, but we will be. We're not fine, and we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to bear our burdens. We're not fine, but we have a sufficient Savior that we can cast our cares and concerns and burdens upon, knowing that he cares for us. But we're not fine when we're on our own. Because we have an enemy who is going around prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So as we come to this time of invitation, encouragement for you as those that are believers is that you have a savior who has conquered the enemy, who has given you a family of faith that should be the people that bear your burdens because they care for you, because that is the purpose of the church. That is Christ's vision. And that we would be there for one another in hard times, that we would not believe the lie of the world, that we have to carry our burdens on our own. You know, the fact of the matter is, when you suffer in isolation... Because you have been tempted by the enemy to believe the lie that either no one cares or that you should be ashamed that you need help, the enemy wins. The fact of the matter is, they do care, and there is no shame in needing help. So the invitation for us as believers is to walk in that community. To be sober-minded and to be watchful. To actually be involved in one another's lives. 
not to let the enemy win by isolating ourselves or others from the body of Christ because we know when the enemy is isolating our brothers and sisters in Christ from Christian community, he is doing it for the purpose so that he could pounce on them and devour them. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Well, if you're not a Christian this morning, you're in an even more dangerous position. You might be thinking, I'm fine. The enemy hasn't done anything to me. Life is going really well because he's got you right where he wants you. And if you live your life without Christ uh, until your final breath, you will die. And ultimately, at the end of history, you will be thrown into the lake of fire with this enemy. If you're not a believer, I, I would tell you, you're on the losing side here. Christ is coming again. He has thrown Satan from heaven to earth. And one day he is going to throw Satan from earth to the lake of fire for all of eternity. And if you're not a believer in Christ, that's where you're going. You might be thinking, do I want all that hardship and suffering? Well, it's only for a little time. Suffering is only for a little time. It's a slight momentary affliction. You'll only suffer for a little while. But I tell you, if you die without Christ, you will suffer for eternity. And this life will be as close to heaven as you will ever have been. Believer, the opposite is true of you. This life, what we go through, the suffering, this is as close to hell we as believers will ever go to. There's hope of victory because Christ has indeed come to destroy the works of the devil and he has given us a community of faith. He's given the church as his plan, the assembly of the firstborn from among the dead, that we would walk together sober-minded, encouraging one another, watching out for one another so that the enemy would not pick us off one by one and devour and destroy our lives and destroy our church and destroy our community. The invitation for us as believers is to walk in this reality, to know that this is what God and Christ have called the church to be. You know, the, the church isn't supposed to be, you know, once, twice, three times a week a, a event. It, it is a community of believers with a common life lived out in Christ. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy uh, that you have not left us to ourselves after salvation, but in your infinite wisdom you have created the church, a church uh, that is supposed to be a community of believers uh, that care and watch out for one another. And we pray that we would be that for one another. Uh, that we would indeed bear one another's burdens uh, and thereby fulfill the royal law of Christ, uh, that we would not buy into the lie that we have to carry our burdens on our own, otherwise uh, we're lesser people, because we know that you have created this world in such a way that we need each other. We need others uh, from our birth until our death, and uh, we pray that we would be able to live those realities out in the context of this church. And I pray that if there are any who are unbelievers, uh, that they would see their desperate need for Christ. That they would see uh, that uh, they are in the enemy's thrall uh, and uh, that they will face his fate 
outside of a saving relationship with Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.